Uh, We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 13 through 16. Uh, And Jesus speaking uh, in his Sermon on the Mount says this, You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Pray with me. Thank you for your word. God, by the power of your spirit, may it seep into our hearts. May it steep inside of our brains. May we live it. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and be seated. Uh, As I kind of mentioned last week, for the next three weeks, uh, David and I are going to be doing a a mini-series of sorts on uh, entitled Reach, and we're going to talk about three things that as Christians we're commanded, um, and I, and I want to stress that word, we are commanded uh, to reach out towards and to reach. And, and the first is culture, we're going to talk about that today briefly, and then uh, next week we're going to talk about reaching your community, your neighborhood, and then the following week uh, we're, we're going to talk about reaching your world. Um, and all of these things are commands. Um, You are a disobedient Christian if you are not reaching out, if you are not sharing the gospel, if you are not being salt and light. uh, You are not following Jesus the way he's called you to. Um, But beyond that, I I don't want to spend time saying, you know, harsh words all the time. I, I, I don't... I don't know, I feel like I do that sometimes, a lot of harsh words. Uh, but what we want to do, what David and I want to do, is give you really just practical advice and uh, maybe tease out some practical implications uh, of being salt and light and of reaching your culture and, and reaching your neighborhood specifically for me. And then David will talk about the more global uh, look. Um, today, though, we're going to focus on reaching your culture. And... When you say that, different people kind of get different uh, pictures in their head, different ideas. For some Christians especially, the idea of reaching your culture or cultural renewal or being a part of the reconciliation of all things, um, that has a very uh, secular, non-spiritual sound to it. Um, There's this, this... lie going around that we're supposed to divorce ourselves completely from culture and just be in our own little Christian ghettos and bubbles um, where we're safe and clean. Um, and, and like I said, it's a lie. And, and it is uh, straight from the enemy. Jesus himself has called us to go. He said that the church is the vehicle by which he is advancing his kingdom through the world. Um, and so we are a part of that. And part of that is reaching culture. And so culture can kind of be a dirty word to Christians. To non-Christians, to unbelievers, when they hear Christians talk about things like uh, reaching the culture, uh, cultural renewal, uh, cultural change, it seems uh, somewhat hostile. 
uh, like there's a takeover coming, and they're trying, to, they're trying to get a hold of everything. They want our politics. They want our art. They want all of the things that we love and hold dear and that are ours. They want it, and it, and it seems very sinister, uh, and, 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 and maybe in some sense, uh, because of the hardness of their heart, they're seeing things that are true uh, incorrectly. And so what they're, what, they're real, what they're seeing as sinister is really loving um, and gracious. Uh, but either way, we are called to go at culture. And I think part of the problem with, with all of these discussions, part of the problems with these feelings, is that we, we really don't know, first of all, what we mean when we say culture. Um, if you ask a lot of different people a lot of different questions, uh, or a lot, if you ask a lot of different people the same question, what is culture? Um, you'll get a, a lot of different answers. Uh, and some will say maybe it's just the arts. When they say culture and cultural, what they mean is dance, theater, music, uh, literature. Those are the arts. That is culture. For others, it might mean something bigger. It might mean civilization, as we know it is culture. Um, if we're going to know why we ought to reach and how we ought to reach culture, we ought to have a, a very biblical understanding of culture. And so we're going to answer really quickly what is culture. And, and I want to say just a couple things about culture. And the first is this. Um, culture is a good thing. Culture is a gracious gift from God. Culture comes from the Lord. Uh, if you recall our earliest text in Scripture, Genesis 1, uh, in, Ge- in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, uh, and actually more specifically Genesis 2, we get this picture of God uh, reaching his hands into the dirt and taking from the dirt and fashioning man and then breathing his life into man and from Adam taking a rib and making woman. And he does this and he gives uh, one, really two commands. Uh, to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply, and then tend and keep the garden. He creates man and he makes them gardeners. And what do gardeners do? They cultivate the land. Um, and that word cultivate uh, in the Latin uh, is the same as culture, cultura. It's the same. Cultivating Culturing is the same thing. And so God makes humanity and immediately calls them to engage in, to participate in cultural activity. Uh, And so for us, one thing we have to see is that this is a really unique account of how the world begins. If you look at Eastern religions... um, there's this, this dichotomy, there's this dualism, there's the material world, which is an illusion. Uh, it's, it's, it's this veil that's been pulled over our eyes. Um, and then there's the spirit world, and that's the real world. And our goal in life is to, uh, to find a way to detach ourselves from the illusion that is the material world and to become one with the spiritual world. Uh, the material world is an illusion. And in Western religions at the time, uh, material material things, flesh, they were bad. Spirit, spiritual things, intellectual, philosophical things, those were good. Dirt, that's the lowest form of life there is. And so you read Greek philosophy, you read Western religions, and what there, there's this hierarchy, there's this bridge that you want to, or this ladder you want to climb. You want to go from dirt to, to people, from people to angels, from angels to spirits, because pure spirit is purely good. There's no flesh, there's no corruption in them. Uh, but in our religion, in our account of the world, we have a completely unique story. 
we have God who reaches into the dirt and makes man completely physical, material, uh, out of matter, and then breathes his spirit into man, into humanity. And so there is no dualism. There is no divide. Both, both uh, material, both physical, flesh and bone and spirit in their original created state are good. And so culture, which is taking to cultivate, uh, there's a definition that Tim Keller uses that I think is just tremendous. And to cultivate is to take raw material and arrange it in such a way that it draws out its norm, enormous potentiality for flourishing Uh, the flourishing of human beings in the human community. Which is what God did. He took dirt and he fashioned it and breathed into it and made it life. And then he called Adam and Eve to be gardeners. And so what do they do? They mess around in the raw material of dirt. There are needs that humans have. Humans need food. And so from the ground, there comes vegetation. Humans need beauty. You need beauty to survive, to live, to be alive. And so from the ground, there comes flowers. There's cultural activity happening right from the beginning. And and furthermore, uh, and we won't spend much time on this because we can't, but you ought to look into it. Uh, Cultural activity is a good and gracious thing uh, that will go on for all eternity. If you look at all the pictures um, of of uh, the end of history, of, of eternity, uh, all the apocalyptic prophetic books, Revelation, Daniel, Ezekiel, the pictures uh, that you get of the future are material pictures. We don't get spirit bodies, if you want to say that. That's kind of an oxymoron, I suppose. We don't become spirits that float around in the heavenlies in this state of nirvana. We have bodies. If you want to know what we'll be like after, after Christ comes again, look at Jesus after he resurrected. You know, he, he had hands and feet and you could touch and, and he was perfect and he was glorified, but he ate and he drank. And you get other pictures. Um, There's this one motif that I love um, because, you know, in Isaiah, it's it's, it's repeated multiple times where uh, the sword, you will beat your sword into pruning shears and you will uh, beat your spears um, into plows. And a lot of time we look at that and we simplify it too much. And we say there's going to come a time where there is peace. And that is true, and that is good. There will be no more war. There will be no need for weapons of war. But it's not just that. If it were just that, God would have said, the Bible would have said, and we'll throw away our swords and our spears. But we don't do that. We beat them into gardening tools. There's no war, but we still need to garden. We still need to cultivate. There's still culture. Uh, We see again in Isaiah, like in in, in chapter 60, we see that there's uh, trade, (laughs) that there are trade ships coming into this new Jerusalem. We see that people are engaging in cultural activity. They're singing. There's dancing. You won't fight, but you will hug in the new heaven and the new earth. And you'll eat and you'll drink. And it will be great. And all of that is culture. And so culture isn't something that we try and avoid until God blows it up. But it's something that that we see that that God has made that's good. 
and that one day he's going to make good again, and we kind of live in this mess in the middle uh, where sin has damaged and corrupted everything. And then beyond that, if that's not enough to convince you, um, I'll, I'll say a couple more things about how culture is certainly from God. God is the source of all of the raw material of culture. God created the realm of nature, which is the raw material for the physical sciences. God created the universe of human interactions, uh, which is the raw material for politics and economics and sociology and history. God created harmony, narrative form, uh, pattern, which is the raw material for all literature, art, theater, music can't live without these things. God formed and fashioned the human mind, which is the raw material for all the philosophical and psychological undertakings that we make. God maintains the connections between our minds. He allows us to connect with one another. He created us so that we would connect with one another, which is the raw material for society. Everything that is cultural, God made. And everything that is cultural is what we, the, taking raw material and drawing out that potential so that it's for good for the flourishing of humankind. Uh, for example, when you take sound and you fashion it, what do you get? Music. Language. You take the human experience, the raw material of human experience and life, and you fashion it beautifully, you get literature and theater. Um, God tells stories. Uh, when you take the raw material of dye or paint or ink, uh, you fashion it into the visual arts. And not even that. Um, Elizabeth Elliot said this, and I love it. She said whenever she saw someone getting their hair combed or washed, or whenever that happened, she couldn't help but think of Genesis 1-1, of order coming out of chaos. And that there's this godlike cultural activity happening um, when you take the raw materials of metal and, and uh, oil and, and a whole bunch of things that I, I'm not really familiar with, and you, you fashion it into automobiles, mechanics, you are doing cultural activity, and it's God-like cultural activity. Bankers, investment bankers, uh, Doug Moo, who's a professor um, in California, uh, he was talking to a bunch of investment bankers, uh, and he, he told them, he said, he told them this story, that, or he told them this. Uh, he said, investment bankers, look at what you do, or, or, or look at what God did. What did God do? He took the breath of life, the spirit of life that only he had, and he gave it to smaller, lesser capable beings at great risk, and at great cost, with the hope and knowledge that they would take it and multiply it. What is that? That's investing. That's banking. Bankers. If you bank, you are engaging in cultural activity that, that mirrors God and is very valuable. Gardeners, landscapers, house cleaners. All of, in fact, there's been this, this, this terrible uh, lie that has permeated the church that especially in America, that somehow uh, those who are paid ministers or, 
are doing the spiritual good work of the Lord and that, that everyone else um, is doing secular work and that the best thing they can do is just give the money that they make uh, to, to the pastors and the, 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 uh, the ministers and the counselors and, and to let them do the work of the Lord. But, but that's not true because if, if the Bible is true, cultural activity will go on forever. But preaching won't. Missions won't. There will come a day when there are no more unsaved, unbelieving people, where we will see Christ in all of his glory, and Brad and David and me will all be out of jobs. But you guys will be set. Just remember that in heaven uh, when we need a job. Um, And so what we see is that the biblical worldview of culture and creation um, has the highest possible view for the most seemingly ordinary tasks and jobs. Those things are cultural activities. And we're called to reach it. Uh, so, so let me ask the question, what is our call in reaching culture? And I'll give you a hint, we already read it. <laughs> Jesus calls us to be salt and to be light. Um, and uh, we're going to talk today primarily about being salt, and then next week primarily about being light. You can't divorce the two, but it's helpful to separate them for a week just to to flesh out some of the implications. Um, but but um, most theologians, most uh, commentaries uh, say that to be salt is simply, or salt is valuable simply by being salt. And simply by being in the world, um, being in salt, being salt in the world, um, simply by living as Christ has called us to live, um, you are valuable and you are doing cultural activity. You are renewing the earth. Um, think about food. Uh, you use salt for two things primarily with food, and they did then too, for preservation and for flavoring. You don't need to do anything to salt for it to preserve food. You just put it on the food. And because it's salt, it preserves the food. And you don't need to do anything to the salt. You don't need to cook the salt in order to draw out the flavors of the salt. And then put, you just put it on the food. And by nature of it being salt, it pulls out the juices and the natural things that are good in the food. And it brings out and it maximizes the flavor just by being salt. And in the same way, there's this sense in which just by living as Christ has called you to, just by being disciples of Jesus, wherever you are and in whatever you do, you are proclaiming the glorious good of the gospel. I want that to sink in. Even if you don't do anything else, just by doing things in a Christ-like way, wherever you are and wherever God has called you, you are being salt and you are working towards the glorious good that God is doing in the world. That's huge. You don't have to go anywhere. You can do it right there in your neighborhood. Uh, light is a little bit different. Light moves. Light emanates. Light goes out. It doesn't stand still. It goes into the darkness and, it, and it, it exposes it. Light is constantly moving. Salt is not. 
And so there is an aspect in which you are called to be light and to go out and to bring light into different places through your good works and your good deeds, and we'll talk about that next week. But for now, we're going to talk about being salt. And the question is, how are we salt? How are we salt and light? But more specifically, how are we salt? It's simple. We are salt by living like Jesus. Paul says it this way. He says, we're salt by growing up into Christ. Um, And that is in Ephesians 4, which is how last week was connected to this week. Ephesians 4 tells us how we can be salt in this world. What does a Christian look like? What does a Christian do? How does a Christian engage uh, with their job, with their family, with their neighbors in culture so that they are salt and so that they bring out all the glorious good that God has intended for themselves and for others and for the world? Um, And so when we talked about that, I said we would come back and we would look at practical implications of that. And that's what we're going to do for the next however long, but not too long. We're going to look at uh, uh, these practical implications. And so if you remember, Ephesians 4 called us to three things in growing up in Christ. Really two things with the bridge. Number one, put off the old self. He says, stop living like the Gentiles do. Stop living like the pagans do. Stop living like the unbelievers. Put off the old self. Rather, put on the new self. Put on Christ. Put on the things of the Spirit. Meanwhile, underneath all of it, the Spirit of the Lord is working in you. Um, You are being renewed in the spirit of your mind. And we talked about the spirit of the mind being the imagination. (laughs) That that thing that governs your thoughts, the thing that, that you grasp most vividly is your imagination. And so I gave the example of why I don't go into the ocean, if you'll recall. Because the thing that most vividly grasps my imagination is Jaws. So I don't go into the ocean. Um, however, if, if, I, if I thought of other things more, if I could more vividly grasp myself having a good time, yay, in the water, then I'd probably do it. Uh, but I don't. Um, and so we're going to look at things that Paul says, and then we're going to look at some other things. Uh, and so go ahead and turn to Ephesians 4, just so you can kind of see what Paul does. Because this is, all I'm doing is what Paul does here. Um, I'm basically going to plagiarize Paul for the rest of the sermon. Um, and I think that that's the best thing I could do. All right, and so we've said put off, put on, be renewed. And so look what Paul says in verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Put off, falsehood. Put on speaking the truth instead. All right? Stop lying. Now, now he doesn't, <laughs> what's interesting is, is this idea of falsehood. And this is going to be something that comes back through the rest of this. You can, you can speak falsehoods without actually saying words. You can live in such a way that your life proclaims things that are not true about God and Jesus. 
Interestingly enough, the Lord says not to take his name in vain. And I want to expand that for a little bit in your hearts to mean not bear his name in vain either. It's not just don't say a certain word flippantly. But you bear the name Jesus. You bear the name Christ. You are Christians. You are little Christs. And you can speak lies about Jesus. You see it all the time. People love to use them as excuses. They're not good excuses, but they're excuses nonetheless. Why would I want to be a Christian? All the Christians I know are hypocrites. I like your Jesus, but I don't like your Christians. Go around the world. And they see the attitudes of Americans who, unfortunately, maybe fortunately, it depends on who you ask, who bear around the world the title of or the, the, the thought that they are a Christian nation. And we are a Christian nation made up of Christians. And so the way we act as a nation, the way we act as Americans in other countries, shapes the way people think about Christianity and Christ. You bear Christ's name. And you speak stories and volumes about Christ with how you live. Put off falsehood. Instead, speak the truth with your neighbors. Why? Because we are members one of another. And here's, here's where the mindset is different. What he's saying is, in your mind, you were your own person. And we understand this. We're Americans. We're individualists. We know, like, we, we understand private property, personal space, uh, we, we get it. But what Paul is saying is put that out of your mind. Instead, in your mind, have this picture built up in you that we are all members one of another. We are all a part of the family of Adam and Eve in sin. And more specifically here, among brothers and sisters, we are all part of Christ's body. We are members one of another. And so when you lie, what are you doing? You're trying to protect yourself. You're placing yourself above the other. Seriously. When you lie, that's what you're doing. When somebody says, hey, how are you doing? And really, you've had a bad day. You've been fighting at home with your spouse. You're angry at your kids. You're angry at life. They say, hey, how's it going? You say, fine. You walk about your way. You're lying. Why? Because you know if you say, no, I'm, I'm doing terribly, that you may have to open yourself up and make yourself vulnerable to people. And so you protect yourself and you say you're fine. Or kids, your parents ask you, did you clean your room? You say, yeah, but you didn't. But you know that if you say no, you're going to get a timeout or a spanking. You're not going to be able to watch TV anymore. So you lie to protect yourselves, right? You say, sometimes I lie to protect other people. No. Even then, you're protecting yourselves. Husbands, does this outfit make me look ridiculous? Who are you protecting when you say no? (laughs) You're not looking out for them. Oh, they can go somewhere and look ridiculous, but you're not getting into that fight. Right? (laughs) Likewise, we see our brothers and sisters caught up in sin and we walk away. You don't want to have that painful conversation with them. It's not that you don't care. Or, uh, it's not that you care about them too much. It's that you care about yourself too much. Put off falsehood. Speak the truth. Then he says, let, let the thief steal no longer. Um, 
And that's in verse 28. Instead, let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he might help the one in need. Put off stealing. Put on working hard. Why? Because you are not the only person in the universe. And in Christ, you are called to deny yourself for the sake of others. That is exactly what Christ did. Christ, who was rich, made himself poor so that we might be made rich. Christ, who had much, gave it all up. He came as a servant to serve others so that they might have everything. In the same way, work so that you can help the one in need. You are not the center of your universe. You should not be the center of your mind and your heart. Others are. He goes on, he says, let there be no corrupting talk, uh, but instead, only that which is good to build up one another when the occasion is right. And this one is the, this one is one of the two that, that, that gets me the most. He says, why? He doesn't say it like this, but what he says is, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit. What is he saying? In our minds, we need to realize that somehow the words we say, the lives we speak, either please or grieve God. We need to realize that God's spirit lives in us and empowers us. And we can live by the power of the spirit or we can reject it. And we need to realize that that same spirit lives in your brothers and sisters who you are speaking about behind their back who you are talking negatively about, who you're gossiping about, who you're using hateful words with. I can't believe this person would do that. They must not be a Christian, but they are, and the Spirit of God is in them. And so what you're saying is, I can't believe that the Spirit of God is not powerful enough to work in the life of that person. You are not insulting them. You are insulting the the work of the Lord, the Spirit. You are grieving the Spirit. That's hard. You can grieve the Spirit with your words, with your actions. Don't do it. Later on, we'll see this. And this is, this can't be stressed enough. Put away sexual impurity. Get it away from you. He says, don't even let it be named among you. Immorality, impurity, filthiness, crude joking. Put it away from you. Instead, he says, put on thanksgiving. And the thing that changes in your mind is this, that no one who does these things will have any place in the kingdom of heaven. No one who habitually, unrepentantly logs on to dirty websites looks at them and allows them to control their thoughts and their actions has a place in the kingdom of heaven. No one who sleeps around on their spouse consistently, constantly, without repentance has a place in the kingdom of heaven. No one who trades the natural order of sexuality for the unnatural order of homosexuality without repentance, without turning to Jesus, has a place in the kingdom of heaven. Why? (laughs) There's a lot of reasons why. Number one, we're supposed to put off falsehood. 
And God created Adam and Eve. He creates man and woman in his own image. He creates them male and female in, their own, in his own image. And so there's a sense that humanity, just a man, does not, as, does not um, in the same way, image God as a man and woman together do. Marriage, man and woman becoming one, images God so much so that the result is creation. So your sexuality is worship because you are portraying who God is through your sexuality. And you are telling the world who God is even through something as personal as your sexuality. So that means if you don't do home, if you don't do, and uh, you don't practice sexuality the way that God designed it, you are telling a story of another God, a false God. That's idolatry. You are proclaiming a false God with your sexual immorality, your filthiness, your impurity. Likewise, no one who does these things has a place in the kingdom of heaven because they're not thankful. If you remember in Luke 17, uh, Jesus heals 10 lepers. They go about their way, and one comes back. He's healed the 10 lepers, but to the one he says, go, your faith has made you clean. This is not about not having leprosy anymore. This is about your sins being forgiven. Go, your faith has made you clean. And somehow, thanksgiving... Thankfulness and faith are, are tied together. You do not have faith if you are not thankful to God. You don't know, you don't have faith in the right thing, let's say that. You don't realize the grace you've received. Because to whom much is given, there's much to be thankful for. And when you do these things sexually, what you are saying is, I'm not thankful for where God has placed me. God, I'm not thankful that right now you've made me single. God, I'm not thankful that I'm with the wife that I'm with. I'm not thankful that I'm a man or a woman. It's a terrible thing. And Paul says there's no place for it in the kingdom of heaven. So we're called to put that off and instead put, off, put on thanksgiving. Okay, guys, especially guys, this is great news. It's not put off sexual behavior and put on working as hard as you can to stay away from, it's put on thanksgiving. You don't have to save yourself. Just be thankful for the spirit of God that is in you and allow him to work in you. That's awesome. That is great news. Stop trying so hard because when you do and you fail, you beat yourself up and you go at it more and more. Rather, be thankful that Jesus has healed you And in your faith, you'll be made well. Going on, husbands, stop neglecting the needs of your wife. That's what Paul says. Stop it. It could be anything. Some of you think about certain things. It could be physical. Your wife has physical needs. She needs to be cared for. You are called to go out and do what you need to do to meet those needs. Some of you, that's not an issue. Your wife has emotional needs. You're called to love her. You're called to meet those needs. You do not get to say, I go and I make the money, just let me be. You do not get to go home and just sit down on your chair and watch TV for the rest of the evening. You have a job given by God. This church will never be what God has called it to be unless the men stand up and be men. 
Put off neglecting the needs of your wife. She has spiritual needs. Meet them. You are called to love her. Put on loving her like Christ loved the church. And he gave himself up for her purity, for her righteousness, and for her salvation. Christ met every need that we have. And in in the same way, you are meant to do that for your wives. And here's the reality, that if you do not care for the spiritual state of your mind, what Paul is saying here in uh, Ephesians 5, around uh, 25, um, he's saying that you don't care for your own spiritual state. Because what you, you and your wife are one, and what happens to her happens to you. So you can't neglect the needs of your wife and think that you are taking care of yourself or that you're good with God because you're not. It's a lot of pressure being a husband. It's a lot of work. It's hard work. I haven't been doing it long. I'm still terrible at it. I'm preaching to myself, believe me. But do it. Wives, thought you'd get a pass. <laughs> Stop belittling and emasculating your husbands. Stop it. Even when they're not around, especially when they're not around. My husband doesn't do this. He doesn't know how to do this. He doesn't care. He just sits around all day and he does this. It doesn't matter if that's the case. Stop it. Here's the reality is that all these things you have to be born again to do. You have to have the power of the Spirit in you to do them. All right? It doesn't matter if, if you only honor your husband when he does things that are honorable. That's great. You're just like the rest of the world. Congratulations. But it takes being born again to honor that husband who does come in, crack open a beer, sit down in front of the television for the next five hours. You're called to honor him. Honorable or not. Here's the picture. It's your marriage. Your marriage is a picture of who God is. It says, honor and submit to your husband. Um, as the church honors and submits to Christ, who is the head. So when you are poor-mouthing your husband in front of your friends, you are poor-mouthing the work of God in your life in front of your friends. Marriages, I just spoke to an inanimate thing. (laughs) Spouses, how you guys love and live and respect one another, you are telling a picture of who God is to the world. Right now the church is telling a picture of God who, who gives up 50% of the time, more. We live in a culture where the best witness you have is a good marriage. I'm serious. Children, Children, I am talking to you now. Stop dishonoring, disobeying your parents. Instead, obey them. Because, kids, I need you to hear this. How you treat your parents, what you do with your parents, if you obey or disobey them, um, that's how you're going to treat God. You can't 
you can't expect to disobey your parents and to obey God. Guess why? Because God told you to obey your parents. So if you disobey them, you're already disobeying God. You don't want to disobey God. That's a, it's a really bad thing, a promise. And guess what? You guys get the only, only commandment that has a promise with it, a blessing. Obey your parents and you'll be blessed. You'll be blessed in God. That's awesome. So do it. It's not that bad, I promise. Parents, don't provoke your children. Instead, bring them up in the discipline and the knowledge of the Lord. Listen, how you parent your kids teaches your children what God is like. How you discipline your kids tells their kids something about God. Are you going to tell them a story about a God who is wrathful and who acts out of anger and who is quick to anger? Or are you going to tell them a story, uh, are you going to paint for them a picture of a God who is gracious, and kind, and gentle, even in his discipline? Uh, we have friends in Florida, and I'm not saying this is what you need to do, but this is how they approach it. Um, they told their children that if they get in trouble, and there's a punishment for them, if they will just ask for grace, they'll receive it. You think, wow, they'll get away with murder that way. Uh, the ironic or the, the interesting thing, I suppose, is that they almost never do. Because when they're wrapped up in their disobedience and their sin, they're only thinking about themselves. They're not thinking that, that they have gracious parents who would forgive them. It's a lot like we are with God. Um, but that's what they did because they wanted to let their children know that God is gracious. Not only are you not to provoke them, you're supposed to raise them in the instructions of the Lord. Fathers, this comes back mostly to you. Now, I, I had a scenario where my mom was the spiritual head of the home. And so there are those scenarios. And so for you, moms, who are the spiritual head of the home, either because your husband's not a believer or because he's not there, this applies to you too. Really, parents, it's for both of you, but fathers, the burden is on you to raise your, your kids up in the knowledge of the Lord. You are the spiritual head of the home. And we actually want to help you with that. We do. We want to be a part of that. Um, and so for this series, uh, at least, uh, if you go out where there's um, the name tags in the little island there, we've got a little paper. You know, some of you are, will say, I'm not theologically minded. I don't think that way. That's fine. We've got a paper there with some questions you can ask your family on the way home after a meal one day, some things you can pray together as a family with, just a guide, a resource for you um, to, to be the head of your home, to use, to pastor your kids. The Puritans said that every home is a little church. Dads, that makes you the pastor. Read about the burden that God places on the pastor. Employees, stop grumbling and complaining about your work about your boss, about your coworkers. Instead, do everything as unto the Lord. Even your work. Because remember, your work is, is cultural activity. Your work is both physical and spiritual activity. And we're talking about reaching your culture. So how you work will determine if you are being salt or not. We're called to be like Jesus. We are called to be gracious and honoring to even the most dishonorable, unqualified, 
or employers. We are. And the picture is this, that work is a gracious gift of God that we were created to do. Um, we were not created to labor. Let's be clear about that. Labor is a punishment of the curse. Labor is when you work and everything fights against you. The ground fights back on Adam. We all know what that's like. We all know what labor is like. Um, but we were created to work. We were created to work the garden and keep it. We were created for work. Work is a gracious gift from the Lord. So we're called to do it as unto him. Employers, stop abusing, underpaying, disrespecting, poor-mouthing your employees. Instead, be kind and fair, compassionate. Work harder than those who work for you. Because you and your employees are both servants of the Lord. Paul speaks this way to the slaves and the masters. We don't really have that scenario anymore, thankfully. Um, But it still works for employees and employers. He says, listen, masters, you are both with one master, and that is God. All of these things, all the ways that you live, engage in whatever aspect of culture that God has gifted you and placed you in, all of these things tell a story. They, They preach a gospel. They either preach the true gospel, which is good news, or the false gospel, which is death and condemnation. And so the question is, how will you apply these things? Or more appropriately, what gospel are you living? Let's pray.